Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that brings on the best people I can find to comment on the stuff that was really going on as opposed to what they tell you was going on during the previous week. And back today is the wonderful, towards the end of the month, co-host, Dr. E. Michael Jones. Welcome, Mike. Good to have you back. Thank you, Kevin. Good to be back. Okay, so here we are on False Flag Weekly News without a producer because our producer, Alan, is uh, down, not with COVID, fortunately. He was vaccinated, so he insists he will never get COVID. So we, uh, I get, I don't know. He'll, we'll let him tell you what, what the issue is, but he'll be back next week, inshallah. Okay, so we're going to share our screen here and look at our slides. So where are we here? There we go, some slides. Um, hmm, we're in the wrong slide. So let's go back to our first slide. There we go. False flag weekly news. This week, uh, the big story is that media freedom is under attack, according to Joe Biden, who just shut down 30 websites. <laughs> um, we'll get to that story in a bit, but Mike, do you want to just briefly uh, uh, vomit or make uh, noises of disgust? <laughs> yeah, look, the, the whole uh, basis of post-World War II uh, propaganda the whole basis of the CIA in terms of psychological warfare was to position the United States of America as the champion of free expression, freedom of speech, not just in political speech, but artistic speech. So abstract expressionism, for example, was an exa- uh, 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 a, a, an expression of America's freedom. And this was going to make us superior to the Soviet Union where everything was controlled. Well, uh, they, these people are so short-sighted that they don't understand that they are undermining the very basis of their existence, the very basis of their notion of superiority. So Biden and company uh, are sitting on a limb and they're sawing away the limb that they're sitting on. And they don't even understand what they're doing. Indeed. I don't know how these people rise to the top of anything, um, even the U.S. government. So, uh, all right, let's move through our list of slides. We're not doing any of the usual disclaimers that Ellen likes to put in about how we're not doctors, so don't accept our health advice and things like that. So this part of the show is not going to go out on YouTube. So you're watching the full uncensored version. We're going to do a few stories on vaccines and things like that that YouTube would undoubtedly punish us for talking about. So let's let's get to the, the totally taboo part of the show here and let's blaspheme against the sacred vaccines, the holy who and the infallible Dr. Fauci. Here we go. Tucker Carlson brings on Dr. Robert Malone this week and Dr. Robert Malone, a key inventor, maybe the biggest inventor of mRNA vaccines says that, well, they're, they're not being transparent with us and these vaccines may not be safe. Uh, but we're not allowed to know that because YouTube deleted Tucker Carlson's video. So I guess we wouldn't even stand a chance. Yes, so it turns out that the spike protein causes inflammation. And the, the inflammation people, even in Israel, young people who got uh, uh, vaccinated in Israel are showing up with uh, inflammation, heart inflammation, which can be potentially uh, fatal. So uh, a- any other drug uh, would be pulled immediately from the market. The fact that this drug is not being pulled from the market indicates that it's not medicine. There's some other purpose here. And so what we were talking about is the suppression of medicine uh, in the interest of the latest version of medical social engineering. That's the big story. And that's why it's being suppressed. Well, you know, frankly, Mike, I think a lot of Israelis would probably be suffering from hardening of the heart, even if they hadn't been vaccinated. But uh, maybe the vaccine is contributing to that. Who knows? So uh, let's. uh, Oh, yeah, let's. Let's show you for a second. <laughs> Let's move still on. Here. Then. Right, you're still here. Okay, just checking to make sure. You know, you never can be too careful these days. And now we're back to our next slide, which would be uh, the Wall Street Journal. It's not just Fox News that's bringing on the inventor of COVID uh, or, or mRNA vaccines and telling us that they may not be safe. But we're seeing the same thing here in the Wall Street Journal, which is actually a little more respectable than Fox News. And uh, I don't know, are they allowed to say this or will the censors soon be burning all the copies of the Wall Street Journal? Well, you've got uh, these categories, these previous categories of liberal and conservative that are being exploded. These categories no longer have any meaning. 
Uh, and this is an example of how they don't have any meaning because in a sense, what does what is medicine supposed to do with liberal and conservative? That has nothing to do with it. Medicine is science and science is objective and science is real. And I know that because there's a guy down the street who has a sign on his front yard that says science is real. Uh, right next to Black Lives Matter. So it must. So again, what you're doing here is sawing off the limb that you're sitting on. The main, the main justification for the superiority of the United States of America was that we were open to science and we were open to the free exchange of ideas. And if we all operated according to these principles, the world would be a better place. Well, now a certain group has taken control of the media machine and they're using it for their advantage and it's not working. This narrative is breaking down and they don't have, it looks to me as if they don't have plan B. What, what would plan B be in this instance? Okay, we won like Vietnam where you declare victory and then you hurry up and get in the helicopter, the last helicopter flying off the roof in, in Saigon. They, I don't see I, I think Fa here. Fauci's helicopter, Fauci's hang, dangling from the helicopter as it's yeah, uh, exactly. leaving CDC headquarters. Yeah. I, that's, that's, I, that's what I think is going to happen here. I mean, there's too much reality on the opposite side and the great Wurlitzer, the big media machine, I don't think can, uh, can, can defeat it. Well, here even, even the Wall Street Journal is coming out and, and pointing out how this one remarkable aspect of the pandemic has been how often unpopular scientific ideas from the lab leak theory to the efficacy of masks were initially dismissed, even ridiculed, only to resurface later in mainstream thinking. So they keep flip-flopping on us. First, we, we were always at war with Eurasia, and then we were always at war with Oceania. And then they keep telling us, trust the science, trust the science, trust the science, even though the science says something different every uh, three days. Anyway, uh, I guess if the Wall Street Journal is allowed to talk about this stuff, we should be too. How about Cole Beasley? Can he talk about this? He's an NFL player. I don't remember having heard about him before this story, but uh, he's retiring from the NFL rather than taking the jab. Um, that sounds like uh, a pretty uh, strong move. Uh, if celebrities can do this and get covered at least in RT, maybe YouTube won't uh, abolish us if we talk about it, but I I'm not counting on that. Well, they're going to have to change. Some point, you're going to have to break down and say, "Okay, we're not going to ban you." But this is this is the analogy, uh, like the Wall Street Journal, this type of thing. The analogy is that picture of the the uh, the the border guard in East Germany running and jumping over the border and running to the west. That that's what's happening here. Uh, <laughs> at, a, at a certain point. This, this migration away from the narrative is going to be unstoppable, and they're going to have to come up with a plan B to explain what happened. Uh, and I don't, uh, I, it's long overdue. Uh, what's it going to take? It's going to take, first of all, uh, any, any company that depends on skilled employees that they cannot replace with uh, immigrants from Mexico or, or outsourced to uh, people in India is dependent on those people to run their operation, okay? If those people refuse to get vaccinated, they have no choice but to uh, drop the, the option. Otherwise, they will wreck their business. They cannot do that. And, and at this point, you're, what you're seeing is that the people who resisted in those skilled occupations are now being left alone. It's uh, no mask mandate anymore and no vaccination mandate because we can't afford to lose you because we can't replace you and our business will go under. That's going to be the turning point. Well, that might even happen in the NFL. Uh, and <laughs> what was it? Was this the uh, a Guardian story? Yeah, this is from The Guardian pointing out that there are two Americas. There's a Democratic America with uh, the Biden requisite 70% vaccinated. And then there's the uh, the deplorables, the Trump America, where only a little over 50% are vaccinated. And, he, and he, look at this quote from Erwin Ir Redliner, or Redliner from the Pandemic Resource and Response Initiative. He says, people aren't buying it. The incentives don't seem to be working, whether it's a donut, a car, or a million dollars. So a donut to get vaccinated? No. A car to get vaccinated? No. A million dollars to get vaccinated? No. Uh, they're having a hard time here, aren't they? <laughs> well, it actually, it does break down. Vaccination does break down according to politics. There's a clear distinction here between red states and blue states. So the highest, what I saw, what I've heard just today was that the highest vaccination rate is Vermont. 
and the lowest vaccination rate is Mississippi. So it is breaking down according to political lines. I mean, maybe maybe liberals are more susceptible to COVID. Who knows? I don't know. Possible. I mean, all those black. Remember, we had the uh, last year, a year ago, you had uh, absolute have to wear a mask. Any public gathering is bad. Oh, unless it's a Black Lives Matter demonstration to burn down your city, in which case uh, they're immune. Well, if you ever need a proof, well, wait, no, no, wait a minute, political. Mike. Some of some of the rioters were actually wearing masks while they were smashing windows and stuff to show how uh, obedient they were. Well, I, I hate to say this, Kevin, but I saw plenty of rioters not wearing masks. I know that really they should be ashamed of themselves. If you want to go smash windows and steal stuff, you should at least have the common courtesy to wear a mask and not spread COVID while you're doing it. My goodness. So, so the so the reaction, like the draconian reaction against the barber in Owasso, Michigan. Uh, where Dana Nessel came down like a ton of bricks, as opposed to the non-reaction to thousands of Black Lives Matter and Antifa supporters marching around, burning your city down, should have proven that this is political, isn't it? There's no medicine here. It's politics. Well, a lot of folks seem to think that. And so the vaccination drive has stalled, but we're not allowed to talk about that. So here we are. Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the YouTube safe version. We're allowed to talk about almost anything, no matter how outrageous here on YouTube, as long as we don't talk about the sacred vax, the holy who or the infallible Dr. Fauci in a way that would be considered blasphemy by the modern day inquisition. So we've left those topics behind and no longer will we be blaspheming about anything remotely medical. And so now let's blaspheme about other stuff. How about this Miami Beach condo collapse? Uh, it's a pretty horrific tra tragedy, maybe somewhere 50 to 100 or so people dead. Um, the Champlain Towers South uh, is, is now gone. It just disappeared. It kind of looked a little bit like Building 7 from those uh, dark, grainy videos that happened in the middle of the night. But the interesting thing about this, um, besides the fact that Jared Kushner lives one block away, and here he is in that lower right-hand corner, and here we are uh, look, zooming in, he's pictured with Larry Silverstein, the self-confessed participant in the demolition of Building 7 on 9-11. Um, and so uh, Charlie Burkett, the mayor of Surfside, says that there's no reason for the building to go down like that unless someone pulls it. And he talked about it pancaking, which, of course, was the original uh, uh, retracted description of what happened to the Twin Towers in Building 7. Uh, it all looks a little fishy to me. Um, there could be a real estate swindle aspect to this, as uh, like with 9-11, where the, the towers were the biggest white elephant in real estate history, riddled with asbestos, court order to get rid of it, would have cost far more than the buildings were worth. They were full of antiquated communications equipment. Uh, they were massively uh, under-occupied with high vacancy rates. City was desperate to take down those towers uh, for at least a decade before the unauthorized demolitions by Larry Silverstein and unknown others. Um, and so here this building comes down looking a little bit like Building 7. I don't know. What do you think, Mike? Is this something we should be uh, sus suspicious about and investigating or not? Well, the question is, did Larry Silverstein own the building? <laughs> well, what if it was Jared Kushner? Well, he was a block away, so uh, yeah. I, it's this is the unanswered question here. The uh, I have no idea how am I supposed to answer why that building yeah. came down. It's pretty dramatic. Yeah. They said that it was that it was sinking at a two millimeters a year or something like that. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, I mean, the Leaning Tower of Pisa is still leaning, uh, and that's been uh, that way for centuries. But maybe that was built better than these buildings. I don't know. Well, one of the theories is, is this uh, McCaffrey guy, the uh, the guy who just got Epstein in Barcelona. Uh, there's a tweet going around, which is probably fabricated, but who knows, because it's not authenticated from his Twitter account that said something about him putting terabytes and terabytes of incriminating data on the government into uh, his condo at this address. And of course, he was suicided like 24 hours before this building came down. So that's, that's one uh, theory that we can't verify. Um, so who knows? Who's the terrorist in Biden's America? Is it Larry Silverstein? Well, yeah, we know that. But uh, who else? Well, according to this new Whitney Webb story, it's actually us. That is, it's the conspiracy theorists. It's uh, people like you, Mike, who are clearly on the right side of the political spectrum. Therefore, you are obviously a white supremacist, Nazi Confederate terrorist. And uh, they might even call me that. Uh, who knows? 
anybody who's a conspiracy theorist or who basically opposes the, uh, the, the oligarchs is now apparently a terrorist. And Whitney Webb uh, sketches out some of the unsavory details here. This is kind of terrifying uh, so much for the Constitution, huh? Yes, well, this this is for years now. For I, I have been saying that uh, white is a category of the mind that get in gets imposed for political purposes, and I think that the the Biden administration then did me the favor of doing exactly that. As soon as they came into power, Merrick Garland started talking about the white the danger uh, to this white white supremacy and so on and so forth. Uh, this is uh, uh, what you would call. Uh, identity theft, if you look at it from a negative point of view, which is what happened in St. Louis, where you had a battle over the statue of St. Louis. And the guy who was orchestrating the campaign to get that statue taken down was referring to those people as white supremacists, because he knew if the if that label stuck, he won the battle. Uh, I entered that battle and I said, no, they're not white supremacists, they're Catholics. Uh, and they're praying the rosary. White supremacists don't pray the rosary and so on and so forth. And uh, I think I had an effect because that, that statue was still standing. That campaign failed because Umar Lee could not impose the category of white supremacy on the Catholics there. And now, alhamdulillah that he couldn't. Uh, Umar okay. Lee, he, he needs to repent to Allah for that. Yeah, well, that, that's a whole other story. And I wrote that up about how, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, began, how he ended up. But anyway... Uh, so just at, as I'm ready to run the victory lap, uh, the American bishop's uh, spokesman, who was Kevin Rhodes, who was the, uh, actually the bishop of our diocese here, uh, announced that uh, the, the probably, they're probably not going to issue a statement on Joe Biden uh, and his eligibility to receive communion because of his advocacy of abortion. But they may issue a statement on white supremacy. Well, this I'm sorry, but this is ridiculous. As, as, as someone said uh, earlier today, uh, where is the term white supremacy? Can that be found in the church fathers, in the writing of the church fathers? This has nothing to do with Catholic theology. And, and the only thing it has to do with Catholics is that it's trying to be, that there are people who are trying to impose this label on them to destroy them. And here you have uh, a bishop of the church going along and imposing, internalizing the commands of his oppressors. Well, the, the uh, FBI says that the, uh, the right-wing terrorists and the white supremacists uh, and, and the Trump supporters are more dangerous than ISIS and Al-Qaeda combined, which of course isn't saying much. That's like saying that they're more dangerous than Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny combined. <laughs> but still, uh, it gives you a sense of what they're up to here, uh, trying to basically uh, take away uh, the civil liberties of a huge slice of the population. And speaking of people uh, sort of roughly on the traditionalist side of things, having their civil liberties taken away, how about Dominique Delawarde, the, the general in France, who is now being investigated and probably will be prosecuted and perhaps even imprisoned for asking who controls the media. During this interview, he said, he smiled and said, you know who controls, controls the media pack in the world and in France, who controls the Washington Post, the New York Times, at home, BFM TV, and all the newspapers that come together around. Who are these people? And then the guys, we can't talk about that. Cut, cut. And they cut off the interview, and now they're charging this guy with a crime. Um, so I guess you can't even ask who controls the media and slyly insinuate that you know who that would be. So I guess we shouldn't say anything about that, should we, Mike? No. So what you, what, you, what you have now is the exact opposite of the category of white supremacy, which is a complete category of the mind, which is a fiction gets imposed to destroy people. Now you have a category of reality, which the same media are saying does not exist. This category of reality is, does not exist. And the proof that it doesn't exist is you're not allowed to mention it uh, or give it any credence as existing. We know who this group is. I've talked about them. This group has made the whole uh, uh, co uh, conflict here, left, right, liberal, conservative. They has made that those categories are obsolete now. These are obsolete political categories. If you can't talk about the Jewish control of the media, you're not in the game. You're not you're not part of a real debate. You're part of this white supremacy, fictional debate that the uh, oligarchs are trying to orchestrate to distract your attention from a real group of people who have real power. 
Well, you're allowed to say that that Jews run, say, Hollywood, if your name is Joel Stein, and you're kind of laughing about it and saying that, hey, it's like, all you care about is that they get to keep running it and everything else. You're allowed to say that. And if you're allowed, if you're Philip Weiss, uh, a good anti-Zionist, uh, liberal Jewish ex-New York Times reporter, you're allowed to point out that, yeah, of course, Jews dominate the media. And so what if they do? Well, the uh, effect of that is to grossly distort the coverage of Middle Eastern issues, among other things. So I guess you can say this stuff if you're Jewish and you say it in the right way. But if you're a French general, you can't say it. And if you're E. Michael Jones, I don't know if you can say it. We'll see whether uh, YouTube gives us a hard time for that. Anyway, here we are moving on to another um, evil, dangerous terrorist threat, worse than ISIS and Al-Qaeda, which would be Gab. Why? Because Gab's policy is to respect the First Amendment. So if First Amendment jurisprudence in the American court system says that it's protected speech, it's protected speech on Gab, you're allowed to say it. If it's not protected speech, like if it's if it's criminal incitement or if it's libel or uh, incite anything like that, then you can't say it on Gab. That strikes me as a totally sensible policy. But now, according to Newsweek magazine, that makes Gab worse than ISIS and Al-Qaeda combined. That is worse than Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny combined, which is pretty bad. Yeah, well, I, I tried to explain this. Uh, I did an article on, on uh, Gab, the first attack on Gab, uh, and I tried to explain what was going on here. It's all, it was pu published in Culture Wars. Uh, it's up on uh, UNS News as well. Uh, and basically, the point here is that uh, the initial attack was completely covert, and you had no idea who was orchestrating it, because the first attack is from Mother Jones. Well, that's a left-wing magazine. And then as soon as they make their attack, the next day, that, that kind of flopped because uh, uh, Andrew stood up to them and said, uh, yeah, I know who E. Michael Jones is, and that's not a smoking gun. Yeah, I support what he does, and he's welcome on Gab. So that flopped. The next day, the governor of Texas comes out, and he attacks Gab. Well, wait a minute. What do the governor of Texas and Mother Jones magazine have in common? You ask, ask the French general. At, they're at opposite ends of the political spectrum, but they are both pawns of the Israel lobby and controlled by Jewish interests. So now it's overt. Now what we we were saying claiming was covert. Now you have this guy, uh, uh, Jack, whatever his name is, uh, who is head of the AJC, uh, uh, coming out of the closet and saying, "Yes, it's uh, the real issue is uh, this is." Uh, anti-Semitic and white supremacist and so on and so forth. And then they launched their attack on Gab. And then they try, uh, if I remember this correctly, they appeal to the Gab uh, readers and say, don't you think this is terrible? And all of the Gab people attack them. And then that's the, the, they, they turn around and saying, see, we told you these people are awful people. They attacked us for attacking Andrew Torba. So you can't win. <laughs> No, it's all guilt by association, by seven degrees of, uh, of separation, you know, whatever amount of association it takes to get you in trouble, uh, they'll do it. So speaking of uh, freedom of the press not existing anymore in its once homeland, the late great United States of America, how about the U.S. government, well, the Biden administration here, uh, specifically seizing more than 30 websites belonging to, frankly, I think the best media outlets in the Middle East, and in some cases, as good as any in the world, uh, starting with Press TV, where I often appear, uh, you go to PressTV.com, and this is what you'll find, the same at uh, Al Alam and Al Manar, and a lot of the other outlets that I read regularly and agree with far more than just about any other outlets in the world. So I kind of take this personally, and uh, let's see, uh, here I, I went on Press TV with Scott Bennett talking about this. Press TV is still broadcasting at PressTV.ir, even though they no longer have a .com. And uh, finally, we have uh, Biden, uh, less than 48 hours after shuttering 30 of the leading journalistic sites in, from the Middle East, he uh, mourns the demise of a trashy Hong Kong tabloid saying that it's a sad day for media freedom. Indeed it is, Joe. Yes, I remember as a child watching a TV commercial and there's a radio and suddenly this guy comes in with some Soviet uniform on, he's got a hatchet and he chops the, ha chops the radio in half with his hatchet and says, yet 
uh, which is the word no, okay, in Russian. So uh, this was a, an advertisement for Radio Free Europe. And this was a clear distinction between us and them. We believed in freedom, you know, and outlets like Radio Free Europe. And all you had to do was tell the truth and people would respond and they'd say, you're a better system. Well, now the situation is completely reversed, okay? Now it's, it's uh, Joe Biden walking into the room with his hatchet and chopping the radio in half or the computer in half and saying uh, whatever, yes. whatever he's saying. No, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you can quite make out what he's saying from under his muzzle, but no. he's certainly muzzling the uh, media pretty well. But, you know, Iran is still plowing ahead and they're do getting through whatever gets thrown at them. Uh, media shutdowns or terrorist attacks, their uh, most popular political and military leader being murdered uh, under the Trump administration, the ongoing uh, sanctions that are strangling them economically, preventing medical equipment from getting in, uh, killing people that way, uh, preventing uh, replacement parts for the passenger plane fleet to get in, killing people that way. But Iran just keeps on with its resistance economy. And here's Pepe Escobar, uh, who you and I have consulted with in Tehran a couple of times, uh, actually many times, uh, writing about the future of Iran, whether or not they come back into the nuclear deal. Uh, they're certainly turning eastward and southward towards essentially away from the declining and uh, decrepit and decaying West, uh, which is probably a smart move. Yes, but there's problems here too, okay? What you had in this election was the lowest turnout since the revolution. Well, it's, it's 50% with uh, like a 70% plus vote for Raisi. That, by, that's a bigger landslide than any American president has ever had in all of history. Yes, but by the same token, they did not allow Ahmadinejad to run again. That's and I true. Th I think this was a mistake. I think this was a mistake. I think they should have let him run because you're just suppressing the conflict there, which is a conflict between uh, Persian nationalism and Islamic internationalism. And the problem here is that there you can, you're right. It's obvious that the Trump administration and now the Biden administration are doing everything within their power to drive the Iranians into the arms of the Russians and the Chinese. That's obvious. And it's obvious that this contradicts everything that these people are supposed to know about foreign policy, namely the McKinder thesis, which says that the ocean, the ocean nations, the island nations have to prevent the unification of the Eurasian landmass. They're doing the exact opposite of that. It's like the cunning of reason, as Hegel would say. Okay. But the problem here is, do you, I mean, I've talked to Ir Iranians. I said, are you learning Chinese? Chinese. Well, no, there's a diatribe from my Iranian contact when I mentioned this, because it's not that simple. Uh, this is not a group of people that are uh, immediately compatible with a group with the Chinese. That's they are more compatible with the West in spite of this crazy Zionist foreign policy that is doing everything within its power to alienate them. Yeah, well, that's true. The uh, the Christian and Islamic worlds uh, are essentially the same civilization, two branches on the same tree growing out of the Greco-Roman classical tradition and, of course, the Middle Eastern monotheistic tradition. Uh, and China is a whole different culture. So there's no reason why Iran and the rest of the Islamic world shouldn't get along uh, well and even be a part of what's called the West. But that's not happening because of these insane Zionist policies, as you said. Vali Nasser, uh, one of the top uh, uh, officially anointed experts on such things, uh, thinks that Iran may come back into the JCPOA. It's just like it took Nixon to get to China. It'll take Raisi to get to the JCPOA. I don't know. What do you think? I don't think it's up to Mr. Raisi. I think he's the weaker, the weaker partner in this, in this negotiation. Of course, I, think, I also think he's getting stronger. And I think the main change now is that the Biden administration does want to get back to that deal. But now, uh, I mean, how are, would you be eager to enter into negotiations with the people who revoked the deal that you spent years negotiating for? I don't that, that's that's part of the problem here. You, can, you don't know who you're dealing with. Who are you dealing with? Are you dealing with all of the Jewish members of the Biden's cabinet? Well, that's no better than Trump. 
no matter what uh, you feel about Trump or Biden, the question is, who's going to be the driving force here? And as I said before, this is the main block. I mean, where, where the, I don't remember Chinese people at, and not at any of those conferences we attended. I think there's a natural, I mean, Nader Talabzada studied film in New York City. I mean, this is the orientation here. And the only thing that's blocking it is the Israel lobby and this insane policy. We would have no problems with these people. With There's no problem, in a sense, between the Iranian people and the American people that can't be resolved by eliminating the Israel lobby from the, from the position they have of blocking anything rational. Well, that's true. And that's probably who's behind seizing press TV's domains and all these other domains. Uh, I doubt if that's anybody but the precise uh, usual suspects in the Biden administration that you're talking about. Uh, well, more uh, war on freedom news. Uh, McAfee uh, suicided uh, Epstein style in Barcelona. What do you think, Mike? Are you as suspicious as his wife? who posted this Father's Day message uh, saying that they want him dead. McAfee himself posted messages saying that uh, if I'm a suicide, it's not my fault. Uh, all of this right before the, uh, the suiciding. So to me, this looks highly suspicious. What do you think? Yes, it does look highly suspicious. Uh, what else can I say? Uh, it's obvious. Uh, we have people at certain points who just disappear. And then, the, oh, who's going to pursue the issue? That's the question. Who's going to pursue maybe the Epstein issue? I mean, uh, maybe he didn't commit suicide. Maybe that it was, wasn't coincidence that the, the, uh, the cameras were turned off and so on and so forth. But the question is, do we have a legal system that can pursue this to the point where people under oath are going to have to testify one way or the other? It may be that that may be the case with uh, the Epstein, with uh, Ms. Ms. Uh, Maxwell. Uh, and her as her trial goes forward. But the question is, uh, who 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 is who is going to pursue it? We, we've reached the point now where journalism can lead the uh, the Congress up to a certain point. But you, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make it drink. That's that's the big issue. The big issue is, do we have a government? Do we have a government? Before we had, you know, Google acting as the government and then the, the Biden administration comes in and now you have government acting like Google. But the question is, do we have any government that represents the people and a judiciary can get to the bottom of cases, cases like this? Well, this guy was a presidential candidate. He, he was the Libertarian Party nominee in 2020. And, and now this happens. Just think if that had happened to a Russian presidential candidate, we'd hear no end of how obviously Putin did it. Uh, but of course, none of us would say obviously Biden did it because such things often are at a lower level, a deniable level where the deep state has its people to take care of these kinds of matters. Anyway, McAfee, he was, you know, he was at war with the deep state. He put out a, a couple of diatribes about that last year. And so uh, I'm really not too surprised this happened, although it's, it's, it's kind of sad. Uh, so the, uh, Wuhan military games are uh, one of the suspicious, oops, backwards, let's go back. Yeah, there we go. This is uh, from the Washington Post, and they reported that this week the uh, Congress is investigating the Wuhan military games in October of 2019 as a possible super spreader event. Now, those of us who tend to support Ron Unz's thesis that most likely the world military games were used as cover for sending a couple of special operatives working for neocons under Mike Pompeo, who'd gotten a hold of COVID from the biowarfare program, sent that to Wuhan, dumped it there in October, knowing that it would then blossom just in time for Chinese New Year and spread across China and cripple China's economy. Uh, that thesis now is obviously right up front in the minds of Congress and the Washington Post, but they can't come right out and say it. So look at the way they tiptoe around this. Uh, the State Department's only consideration of the military games came when the Chinese foreign, foreign ministry began citing the event in its own propaganda in March 2020. The Chinese asserted that U.S. Army personnel might have brought the virus to Wuhan from Fort Detrick in Frederick, Maryland, where the U.S. Army Bioresearch Program is based. That didn't make sense because the first outbreak was in Wuhan, not Maryland. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It makes perfect sense if they took it from Fort Detrick to 
do a biological attack on China. We're not even allowed to mention the fact that this is what the Chinese have been screaming from the rooftops. And the, this is this topic that Ron Unz has written a series of very convincing articles about, but you can't say it in the Washington Post. Well, the first of all, uh, when Trump said it, it had to be false because Trump said it. And so that that disappeared. Uh, <laughs> right. Th that that ended quickly. But then uh, uh, the Biden administration comes in. And I think what they're realizing now is that it's probably a good idea to blame the Chinese, uh, especially if you're you're uh, if you were involved in it. So, again, we come back to this. We need some type of uh, court of final appeal here where someone can get to the bottom of this with the force of law. Now, Congress is appointed to do this. That's one of the reasons we have a Congress. Uh, they're, not, they're not incorruptible. I mean, one of the, one of the early, the, uh, the difference between the 1950s and now is that in the 1950s, Congress did actually have commissions like the Reese Commission, okay, which looked into the influence of tax-exempt foundations on government and whether they were more powerful than government. That, is a, a, that was a prophetic moment, okay? And that got shut down by uh, Wayne Hayes, who was uh, basically an agent who had given his, uh, an agent of the Rockefellers who didn't want that thing to talk. So it turned out that he proved it by the very fact of shutting it down. He proved that the foundations had a lot of power. Well, no, everything has gotten worse since then. We need some clear indication that there is someone who can stand above this back and forth of uh, lobbies and uh, uh, political money and can have some type of impersonal testification that this is the truth. That used yes, right. to be science. Science has gone down the drain now. The only thing that's left is the political process. Yeah, yeah, we need some integrity in politics, and, and there's very little uh, these days. I had Dennis Kucinich on my radio show last night. Uh, he has a lot more integrity than your average American politician, um, and uh, another good Catholic. He, he should have been uh, America's second Catholic president, not Joe Biden. So uh, I, I kind of try to move this little thing so people can see the whole headline. There we go, uh, because this is a great headline. Anthony Fauci was hosed down naked in what looked like a kiddie pool after being mailed mysterious white power. Well, I wish we had the video of that to show you, but we don't. That would be an X-rated video. That would be on Pornhub or something, probably. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, this apparently happened uh, back in the middle of a scam pandemic, and, and we didn't hear about it then, but we just heard about it this week. Okay, Anthony Fauci hosed down naked in a kiddie pool. Uh, next. <laughs> okay, there we go. Israel's growing influence at the UN. Okay, the biggest international outlaw. It's violated hundreds of UN resolutions shamelessly, is still managing to bribe a number of countries into getting on some important committees like the, the Lesser Committee to investigate the plague of, uh, of fleas in whatever now. They, they've got the, the, the minor, uh, mediocre, not do anything about human rights committee and these other kinds of useless committees at the United Nations. Now suddenly Israel is getting prestigious seats on them and therefore its international influence is growing according to the Israeli media. Uh, is is their influence growing or are they actually being exposed as genocide perpetrators and human rights pariahs? Well, there, there's a, a kind of Jewish genius uh, that allows people like this to see when something, a movement that they created is going down. And so the classic example would be Bolshevism. Okay. And you had someone like Irving Kristol who was there uh, in the 1930s, a supporter of Trotsky, becoming the head of neoconservatism, which, wait, wait a minute, that's the opposite of, of Bolshevism. Well, uh, it is if you look at it politically, but if you look at it in terms of uh, ethnically, no, it's, it's just a, a, a development of the same type of thing. So you have the same thing happening in, in Israel where you have uh, the anti-Zionist uh, movement uh, being led by Jews as well. Uh, and we were at that conference, Miko Pellet was at the conference, and I tried to explain this, and Miko got all upset. Uh, the fact that I wanted to broaden this discussion to talk about something other than simply this movement that he's involved in in Israel. I said at the, this time, I said the main, the reason that we're here is really American Jews and not Israelis. The reason that the uh, you uh, that Iran doesn't have a nuclear deal is three American Jews. 
And I named who they were. One of them is dead now, okay? Uh, Sheldon Adelson is dead now. But if we can't talk about expanding, if we can't talk about anything other than what a Jewish-led organization allows us to talk about, we're not going to proceed. And I think that this, what you're seeing at the United Nations is a function of their ability to jump out of, let's say, Zionism and then become the leaders in the anti-Zionist movement as well. Well, I don't think they're doing any anti-Zionism in the United Nations, but uh, that's true that the, the uh, insidious spreading of influence is partly responsible for them getting a couple of meaningless committee assignments there. Well, here was an interesting piece uh, on, on Fulbright. Um, and I don't, was this from, was from that, that uh, foreign affairs? I forget. I don't have my notes. I can't use notes because we're doing this on Zoom because we have no producer this week. Uh, but in any case, I thought it was interesting that this article on J. William Fulbright, who was widely considered the greatest policy mind of the century in the U.S. Senate, maybe the greatest uh, all-time period, uh, his name is on the scholarship I got to go do dissertation research in Morocco, and this article on uh, Fulbright and the New American Internationalism failed to mention that he was booted out of the Senate when he offended the Zionists because he stood up for U.S. interests. Uh, nobody's allowed to know that. No, I, I had the pleasure of meeting a recipient of a Fulbright uh, here at the local university. And uh, uh, this, this uh, graduate student was from uh, Afghanistan and was studying gender ideology gender studies. Oh, no. Now, this is a big, I, I know that the, the, Af, the people of Afghanistan probably don't know a lot about gender studies. And this is- a, Well, they, sure. need, they need to, Mike. In fact, uh, she probably was trying to convince the Taliban to change their name to the, the Transiban. Well, the problem is that her the organization that she's going to go back and work for uh, had problems with the Taliban and her predecessor turned on the ignition and his car blew up and he's dead. So this is the problem with this uh, the, this operation. It became a tool of the very people that he wanted to exclude. How do you, how do you prevent this from happening? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's the new international new Zionist internationalism. It seems like so. Uh, and speaking of more Zionism news, I thought this was uh, one of the more interesting items in the Jewish Daily Forward this week. How Naftali Bennett's kippah stays on his bald head and why it matters. And if you want to know why it matters, you're going to have to read the article. Yeah, I was hoping you would explain that to me because I read the article and I still don't understand why it matters. So uh, I'm glad that it's stuck on his head. He said he used chewing gum to stick it on, uh, keep it stuck on. In the yeah, first the, see, the secret is chewing gum. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. And so I guess uh, that's why it matters. God bless it. Does it matter that uh, he is now uh, president? Uh, uh, prime minister as opposed to Benjamin Netanyahu. I think that's a more important question. Well, well the idea is, is the idea of this article, when they don't come right out and say this openly because it's so shameful, is that what this guy is trying to do is to build a bridge between the uh, secular exterminationists, uh, people who don't really believe in God, uh, like Netanyahu, um, and the more religious exterminationists, the people who wear a kippah on their head and want to exterminate the Palestinians because they think it was it's the Bible that tells them to do so, whereas people like Netanyahu think that it's just a strategic logic that tells them to exterminate the Palestinians. So Bennett, who's an exterminationist, wears a kippah, and he's both you know part of both groups, and so that's really why it matters, I guess. Um, and over in Germany, what else matters? Uh, well, what else matters but the Holocaust? There's nothing that's ever mattered as much in all of human history, if not the history of all intelligent life forms throughout the universe, as the Holy Holocaust. And that's why the U.S. and Germany together are going to make sure that nobody remains ignorant of the sacred story of the Holocaust, complete with the Holy Trinity of six million dead in gas chambers as part of a formal bureaucratic extermination plan signed off on by the Fuhrer. And uh, a lot of people don't know that. They don't even know it's 6 million. In fact, the founder of Jewish Holocaust studies, Raoul Hilberg, thought it was only 5.1 million. Um, and so Raoul Hilberg and others need to be re-educated and the US and Germany are gonna do it. Yes, and it's getting worse uh, because uh, I, I lived in Germany for three years in the 70s and there was no talk of this back then. It was just a, a basically non-existent. Uh, largely, I think, because there were still a lot of 
soldiers from the Wehrmacht who were still alive. The, the parents of the people I was teaching at that point where a lot of them had been in the war and a lot of them could tell stories that would contradict this narrative. So the more those people died off, the more the, the stronger the narrative uh, grew. Uh, Germany has been subjected to the most ruthless form of social engineering in human history. Uh, and uh, what they learned, it was a op it was also a Jewish-led operation. Uh, the the Morgenthau plan uh, uh, was uh, he was uh, Roosevelt's uh, Jewish Secretary of the Treasury was to exterminate the German people, a literal starve them. And, and that, that was actually written by that was written by Harry Dexter White, who was a Soviet spy. Yes, also another Jew, okay, who was basically the plan, the geopolitical plan at that point was to make life so miserable for the Germans that they would long for Stalin to come in and liberate them from the Americans. And at a certain point, the grown-ups in the room at the State Department decide, hey, that's not a good plan. Let's have a new plan called the Marshall Plan. But the Marshall Plan, in spite of injecting money, also injected social engineering into uh, Germany at that point in a uh, form of pornography, one of them, which I document in my book, uh, Logos Rising, but uh, also in terms of science. And the Kinsey report became a German word at this point because the Kinsey report was being promoted all over Germany through magazines like Stern, big, uh, which were the cutting edge, these glossy uh, picture, high-res picture magazines like Stern. All those magazines in order to publish had to get a license from a Jew from New York City. So, so after the Third Reich, they had the, the, the fourth uh, Wilhelm Reich. They had, yeah, Wilhelm Reich, right. And his, his, uh, his disciple in Germany at that time was uh, David Mordecai Levy, who was a psychiatrist uh, from New York City. And everyone had to get to go to him to get the license. You had to get lie down on the couch and tell him how bad you felt that you were a German. And then you got a license and then you could promote the social engineering, which reaches its culmination in this type of stuff. Wow. Well, I'm going to have to lie down on a couch and, and tell somebody how bad I feel to be uh, about one quarter German because, uh, hey, wokeness is everywhere. And uh, even Tolkien is now, oops, let's go back to the Wokian Tolkien. Uh, the Tolkien Society goes woke. Uh, this was published, I think, well, where was this over in Occidental Quarterly or someplace like that? And it points out that at the Tolkien Society meeting this year, it's nothing but like, you know, the, uh, the joys of gender bending orcs and, and, and uh, Frodo as uh, transsexual, black, whatever. It's like very strange. Uh, I don't understand how they can write articles like that, much less go and talk about them. But I've been out of the literature profession for quite a while now. So maybe it's, you know, I'm, I'm a relic of a bygone age. Well, if, if you want the link uh, between Tolkien and this, look at uh, Peter Jackson's uh, film, The Hobbit. And there's uh, Bill, I think it's Bilbo, uh, saying, talk, he's a Zionist. He's clearly a Zionist. And he starts talking about the dwarves. Well, the dwarves are Jews. It, it's clear. So it's, they're, it's they're clear. hoarding up treasure. That's right. They're, they're Ross, Rothschild is the dragon? Right. No, wait a minute. Who's the dragon then? Hitler, maybe. The, dra the dragon, for, in order to explicate this fully, you have to understand Tolkien's appropriation of Wagner's ring cycle, in particular, the Rheingold. And so Tolkien was a very conflicted character here because he had German ancestry. Tolkien is the anglification of Tolkien, which means bold in German. And so he felt a kind of uh, mixed feelings, uh, wanted to be accepted by the English establishment at a time when they're at war with Germany and at a time when it's clear that the, the Nazis are persecuting Jews. And so he had to take the ring cycle and twist it around to the point where the ring no longer made any sense. And that's the, the story. I read Tolkien when I was a teenager and I could never figure out what the ring was about. But if you watch Wagner's Das Rheingold and the beginning of it where Alberich steals the gold, you immediately understand what's going on because Alberich's a Jew. Now, wait a minute. I didn't say that. Theodore Wiesengrund Adorno said that in his music criticism. And he said everybody in Germany knew that at the time. So that made sense because Alberich was Meyer Amschel Roth Rothschild and he stole the gold 
from the Prince of Hesse Castle, and he turned it into something that enslaved you called uh, usury in the banking system, and that was the ring. That makes perfect sense. Tolkien couldn't say that because of he's he's uh, England's at war now or uh, was at war and going to be at war with Germany in the 1930s when he wrote this and so he has to wreck his own image and then open up the gates to the politically correct cloud, crowd who have apparently taken over his organization well you know with that analysis mike i don't think you're going to be invited to go hang out with the black jewish spanish transsexual orcs at the next uh, tolkien society get together um, by the way, maybe I can redeem myself by saying the orcs are Turks. Uh, he hates Turks too. Okay? Yeah, that's, maybe. Uh, yeah, you're, you already you already told me that, and and uh, my preferred interpretation of it is it's a polemic against industrialization along the lines of the school of criticism of H.R. Levis, Levis and those people which Tolkien was part of in, in the 1930s. Yeah, F.R. So, F.R. Levis. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I see it as, as the Mordor is the land of industrialization. And when Germany and uh, USSR and the US industrialized and then fought a total war, it was hell on earth. And basically all of them were orcs. Everybody who's part of an industrial society is an orc. So we're all orcs. Let's face it, folks. Um, and meanwhile, MasterCard, like the Tolkien Society, is also going woke. Uh, did you actually see this commercial for MasterCard about all of these people of indeterminate genders uh, being helped to use their MasterCard? No, I didn't see it. Well, you missed something then. All, <laughs> all, all ads are counterproductive now because they have to espouse an ideology that can only really target a minuscule part of the population. So they're cutting off their their nose. They're they're cutting off access to the overwhelming majority of people here by doing this type of thing. Does that make sense? I would think so. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think there's a backlash building because of the overreach on this stuff. And speaking of overreach on this stuff, how about the New York Times saying that trans children are everywhere? You know, you should probably try to convince your child to be mutilated and shot up with hormones uh, if your child ever shows any unhappiness or uh, psychological issues, that's probably uh, what you need to do. Well, the National Geographic did a, a piece on transgenderism, and they started talking about nine-year-olds. Well, if you're talking about prepubescent human beings, they do sort of resemble each other. Uh, uh, because the sexual characteristics haven't developed. So, you know, the little boys don't have beards. I know this comes as a shock, but does that mean that they are transgendered? No. This is, again, the difference between categories of reality and categories of the mind. The categories of the mind are trying to be imposed on something that says the exact opposite. And I think people are waking up to that fact. Yeah, it's kind of the uh, the reducto ad absurdum of the whole life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness promise of secular liberalism that you can be anything you want, you can you can be any any sex you want, you can have any sex you want. That's basically how they're trying to promise everybody that you'll have a paradise on earth if you go along with our regime. And yet more and more people are not seeing this as paradise on earth, but as hell on earth. And here are parents protesting uh, critical race theory and trans policies. Now, frankly, like, I don't think critical race theory is 100% wrong. I think there's an element of truth to it, although it often gets distorted and oversimplified. Uh, but I understand why people are sick of the overreach in these areas. Well, if, if you, if by this, you mean uh, Noel Ignatieff's statement that whiteness is a category of the mind. I completely agree with that. Mm -hmm. And this gets me in trouble with a certain crowd of people out there. But my message to them is, uh, do you want to put a weapon into the hands of your enemy? Well, then go, you're going along, you're, con you're internalizing the commands of the, your, your oppressors. Of course, race is a category of the mind. Of course, that's true. Does that, does that mean that I agree with Noel Ignatieff's conclusions that the white race should be exterminated? No, I don't believe that. But, but he's, tr he's right in saying that it's a category of the mind. These things are created for political purposes.
That's right. And the historical analysis of how the category of white emerged is totally legitimate. And there's no reason why people shouldn't be allowed to study that and write books about it. So as I said, I don't think critical race theory is 100% wrong. Uh, it's just there's been a lot of overreach and ideological fanaticism and such in that area. And now it's being imposed all over society in a ham-fisted way. And that's going to naturally provoke all kinds of backlash, which we're seeing. Maybe it's designed to promote the backlash. Maybe the people doing this secretly want to create a right-wing fascist gulag America, and they're doing it in a sneaky way of provoking the backlash. No, the I think hand, that's true. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. That is the whole strategy here, to get people, to lure people into identifying with their oppressors and then destroying them. What do you think Charlottesville was all about? That's exactly what happened in Charlottesville. They identified with something. They thought they had their rights as a, as a, under the Constitution, Bill of Rights. Well, no, they didn't because they identified themselves as a category that has no rights. This is exactly what they did. And so, so the neo-Bolshevism that's arising might play the same role as the Bolsheviks played in 19, late 20s and 30s Germany of uh, provoking the rise of fascism. Or then again, we might just get plain old Bolshevism like the Russians got after their revolution. And uh, I, I just wrote about the rise of the neo-Bolsheviks here in American Free Press um, pointing, this was a review uh, to a certain extent, a very brief review of Sean McMeekin's fantastic new book, Stalin's War, which gives us a, a very different view of World War II from the mythical version that we're taught in school. And bottom line here is that the way that we're taught about World War II with Hitler as the supreme villain kind of reminds me about what we're being brainwashed to think today with the right-wing extremist racist uh, Confederate Nazi terrorists being more dangerous than ISIS and Al-Qaeda and the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus combined is, is the new uh, unifying mechanism here. Uh, and uh, so it seems to me that these, these, uh, the, these new left-wing Bolsheviks actually resemble the right-wing fascists. Uh, neither side has any tolerance for anybody criticizing them. And in the end, uh, those two kinds of regimes look very similar. And McMeekin's book points out that actually Stalin, in many ways, was uh, was more of a Hitler than Hitler was. And I don't know. Have, have you uh, seen the reviews of this, Mike? I got reviewed recently at UNS by Lauren Guyano. And you, you might be interested in, in reading this and writing about it. Well, I don't see, you can't understand what Stalin was doing unless you bring the Jewish question into it. I mean, who was Stalin's opponent? It was Trotsky. What were the purges about in the 1930s? It was about getting people like Zinoviev and, and Radek and this uh, first generation of Jewish Bolsheviks out because now it was the time for Russian nationalism. And this is the type of thing that Stalin's supporting. Now, I don't want to go into his tactics or anything like that, but that's the dynamic that was going on there. And, and uh, there are people who simply can't get that straight. They simply can't get that straight because you can't talk about certain groups as having an identity. You have to constantly shift your attention to fictional character categories so that uh, you can uh, debate it on terms that keep this uh, 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 one other group invisible. That's what's going on here. That was the whole problem. The whole problem with cultural politics after World War II uh, uh, and with the rise of the CIA, the Congress of Cultural Freedom, and something like a, a guy like Shostakovich, who's mm. uh, the best thing that Stalin ever did, the greatest contribution he made to Western culture was getting Shostakovich to stop composing those god-awful pieces like Lady Macbeth in the Mistense District and start composing tonal, get away from the 12-tone stuff and start composing tonal music. The whole West, all of these so-called conservative supporters all came down in favor of basically formalism, the formalism that the Soviets were contending. It was a complete mess. And as a result, it never, it never led to anything, the lasting in terms of uh, uh, understanding the arts. So that, that's the cultural plan. In the geopolitical plan, uh, Stalin and Hitler teamed up to launch World War II by invading Poland. And so the West, uh, the US and, and the Brits uh, and the French joined the war to protect Poland. But Stalin stole more of Poland than Hitler did and committed worse war crimes there. And then when it came down to the uh, Nazi invasion of the Soviet Union, 
that actually preempted a Soviet invasion of all of Europe. Uh, the, and the reason that the Nazi invasion worked uh, was that the Russians had put all of their uh, equipment right up on the front line in an offensive formation and would have invaded within a few months. So uh, that whole story is starting to emerge and McMeekin supports that. Uh, it, it really rewrites our traditional um, story, the myth of German villainy with Hitler as the one and only villain. Uh, so I, I think, is this, is this our last slide? If we actually, yeah, we reached the end of the show. Oh boy, well, let's go, go back to our last slide here, which is Trump uh, apparently has discussed, or he did when he was in office, discussed sending COVID infected Americans to Guantanamo Bay. And now of course the Biden administration is revising that plan. They're going to send COVID skeptics to Guantanamo Bay. So we better not say anything that the World Health Organization or the CDC or Dr. Fauci. Wait, wait a minute, Dr. Fauci has already been ejected on his helicopter. So I guess we just have to not blaspheme against the CDC and the WHO. Well, this is an example of Trump missing the boat. Who, who introduced Dr. Fauci to the American public? Yeah, maybe it, Trump it, should have it, sent Fauci to Guantanamo. It was, it, was, it, was, it was Donald Trump introduced Fauci, and then you could tell by the expression on his face after a while, he started to wonder, well, maybe that was a mistake. But again, you know, it's easy in hindsight, but again, you, you accept the categories that are given to you, and then you act on categories, and you end up with someplace that you, you, you're in a bind. Uh, so this is all, you know, this this kind of superficiality that you don't want in a political leader. What you want in a political leader is someone who, could, when you close the door, you can say, "Look, all that stuff, diversity, you're talking about to the public, all it is to pre is to prevent unionization. You have to have that type of frankness when you're dealing with high levels. And the problem is, a lot of people don't they don't have it. They don't have they don't have the understanding that allow would allow for that frankness." Indeed, they don't. Well, uh, I guess we've come to the end of the show, so we'll be back next week, God willing, if Biden hasn't sent us to Guantanamo for questioning certain aspects of the COVID narrative or any other of the many orthodox narratives that we question on this show. So thank you so much, Dr. E. Michael Jones. Keep up the fantastic work at Culture Wars. God bless. Uh, thank you to our supporters and our donors. See you guys all next week with Alan back to produce, uh, inshallah. Thank you. Okay, bye.